Hi, I'm Georgia Graham, and I'm a writer, editor, and pretty much retired model. This is Threads of Conversation, a show where I talk to creative people about their life and career via eight items from their wardrobe. Today, my guest is the director and writer, Caleb Femi. In 2020, he released his first book of poetry, titled Poor, to huge critical acclaim. The book is an anthology of poems about growing up in Peckham, covering themes of youth, love, race, and class. It also features his photography as an accompaniment to the poems. Femi's filmmaking work has also caught the fashion industry's eye. He was a frequent collaborator of Virgil Abloh during the designer's Louis Vuitton tenure, directing and performing in a number of campaign films for the brand before Abloh's passing in 2021. He has also been tapped by Bottega Veneta and recently worked with the stylist Ib Kamara on Jamila Barry's new music video, Uber Ride. As a director, he has also directed episodes for the HBO show Industry and his recent short film, Giraffe, was selected for this year's Sundance Film Festival. As a lover of words and clothes, I've been a big fan of Femi's work for many years now and it's a huge privilege to welcome him onto the show today. So Caleb, welcome to Threads of Conversation. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so just a note to the listener before we begin, if you want to see pictures of the items which um, Caleb has chosen, you can find these in the accompanying newsletter, which is linked in the show notes. So yeah, hello. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing well. It's a sunny day outside, hot, um, and I'm trying not to complain about the heat and just appreciate it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's good. It's a good day. Can you tell us what you're wearing today? Uh, today I am going with just a little bit of a smart cash vibe um, because I have a screening later on. I'm screening Giraffe, um, the short film. Um, so I've gone for like some really nice. I don't know what these shoes are called. Uh, I would like call them like brogues. Bro- I guess they're brogue. They're platform brogues. Nice um, with some suede uh, trousers black which sound more outlandish than they actually look in real life no Um, tassels and then I've got this like crip inspired um, uh, t-shirt shirt vibe do you have a particular like outfit that you like to choose when you've got a sort of I don't know it's your um, I am the filmmaker outfit yeah I dress down (laughs) today I'm like dressing up a little bit this shirt needs to be debuted properly and last like a couple of years ago I was in Morocco and I brought it along with me and it just didn't get the shine that it deserved so I thought okay I'll properly give it an outside debut today nice and um because I'm I've noticed that I'm falling out of love with it yeah so let me just put it out let it have its time in the sun literally <laughs> and then I can just like we can end our our, our relationship <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah well I mean that's what the show's all about is like creating that emotional connection with your clothes so yeah. um so let's start with your first piece so this is the piece that reminds you of your childhood um can you tell us what you've chosen for this category uh so for this category I have chosen um so there's a picture of me when I was eight years old. This is my eighth birthday. Um, my mum got me a Man United football cake. Um, and I'm wearing an orange shirt. Do you remember the 
this is like the 90s so like the orange the the phone company orange that like the future is bright the, the future is orange yes <laughs> orange wednesdays the orange wednesdays yes. legendary yes. do you know how little money pizza express made from like me and my friends <laughs> in the 90s or like early 2000s <laughs> <laughs> yeah they really realized they messed up with that um such a good bargain i don't think we've gotten a bargain as good as that like in this day and age yeah, yeah you can just imagine working at pizza express and you see a group of like eight teenagers mm. coming they've got their little you know like whatever the, the coupons were in their hand they come <laughs> in and they order three pizzas and a bottle of tap water literally <laughs> um but yeah uh this t-shirt is um an orange uh it, i think it was like a promo tee um and it just it was it was probably a hang me that hand me down or something but anyway, I supported Holland at the time in terms of football World Cup. Um, so what the World Cup was on, that was my team. I couldn't afford a, a Netherlands shirt. Uh, so yeah, this was my favorite shirt for like three years. Um, it, I think this was the first time I wore it. And then I wore it probably once a week for the next three years. Tell me a bit about what kind of uh, kid were you? Um, were you obviously really creative from a young age? Um, did you have a strong sense of style? Um, I wouldn't say I had a strong sense of style. I think that didn't matter to me, um, as with most kids. Um, I think I just wanted to wear stuff that, one, made me feel, it, that triggered my imagination. So like wearing this orange shirt, I felt like I was part of something bigger. I felt like I was a footballer or something. It really gave me, I wanted to play football in this shirt because it, it felt like I was like almost part of that like Netherlands squad or something. Um, and generally I think most of the things I wore was trying to emulate something that I really liked, that really captured my imagination. Um, of course there's like, AstroTurfs, which I think for like an eight-year-old kid, that is like, that's all you wear on your feet because you never know when an opportunity to kill ball is gonna arise. In terms of creativity and like your writing, was that something that started young? I think it's it started young enough anyway. It started like maybe year seven, year eight. So I was probably about 13. And this was my sisters put me on to lots of like pirate radio station stations and um, like on top FM, uh, Deja, um, just like all the big ones at the time, Rinse FM, all of that, all the grime, like where the home of like grime was really developing. Um, so I used to write lyrics in school, um, the back of my books and um, and then I also used to listen to a lot of, I used to listen to like the streets, obviously like road rap, gigs, PDC. And I used to write down their lyrics because you, you know, the internet wasn't like how it is now, couldn't just like search their lyrics. So I think that relationship with also like writing my own stuff, which in hindsight was more leaning to like emotional, like it was more of a release rather than like some machismo element of like rap and stuff. Um, and then later on reading, just reading books in school um, for one reason or the other, GCSEs or whatever, I think it really drew me closer and closer to the art form, to wanting to be a writer. Um, and then I forgot about writing for a long time. 
I sort of was preoccupied with other things. And then when I was uh, about 17, 18, I read T.S. Eliot, I read W.B. Yeats, I read like, you know, just a score of incredible poets, um, Emily Dickinson, and then, yeah, something just clicked. And I was like, oh, I was always trying to write poetry, I think. And then I started actually actively learning about the craft of poetry. And then from that, I kind of just veered into everything else. Mm. I wanted to ask, so this picture um, of you in this amazing orange shirt, it also appears in Poor as, as an accompaniment to the poem Patrilineal. Yeah. In this book of poetry, there is so much about your childhood, your youth, mm-hmm. um, and your feelings. How does it feel now, kind of as a grown-up, having... St- sort of almost so much of your childhood in the public realm? I think I was more worried about my family. At the time, I was just writing for me. You know, it wasn't something that I was like, okay, this is going to be published. It was just, you know, expressing myself. And even though at a point where I knew I was writing a book, I still didn't think it was going to go anywhere. I just it was a personal satisfaction. I was a teacher at the time, so I didn't even, I was like, this is my day job and this is what I do to like be free mentally. Mm. Um, so yeah, I didn't really think about them. I, di- I think for me, I was less like bothered because I don't know, I'm, I don't really feel a certain type of way to like be vulnerable or expose like my life. But it was only when the book came out and my siblings and my dad especially, because, you know, I at him a lot. Well, I was going to say, even in that poem, it's <laughs> yeah. really interesting because I feel like, I mean, maybe I'm, correct me if I'm reading it wrong, but that poem is a lot about you saying to him the things that he can't say and like him not being able to express his feelings, which is very common, I think, men of that generation and even of our generation. Yeah. Um, so I'm interested, like, you know, where did you get the confidence to sort of, be that vulnerable and speak your emotions so truthfully and authentically? Um, I think the way that for a couple of years, especially between maybe the age of like 18 onwards, I started measuring everything by the concept of will it kill me? (laughs) And having experienced so much like, or having gone to the edge of like that thing, I always knew that like, there is nothing else that can scare me in this world. So as long as it doesn't kill you, or as long as it isn't a threat to anyone's life, I always, I just go and do it, you know? Um, So that's kind of, for better or worse, sometimes you find out that there's other things that you might not want to experience. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, generally, I think I I always lead with, with just like, and also knowing that there are so many other people our lives unfortunately there's one thing TikTok has taught me that there's nothing in your life that is like extremely unique um, in that way so I always felt that whatever I'm going through there are people out there who are able to you know find some sort of commonality in it so at least it's a a way to start conversations I guess Mm. let's move on to your next piece so this is the piece that reminds you of your career you've chosen the down jacket that saves you when shooting in winter 
So can you please describe this piece for us? Okay, yeah. So this um, this is a this jacket actually is one of my f- most favorite purchases ever. It's like a piece that I think I will forever love. It's like wearing literally wearing a duvet. Um, and I, it's a collab between Adaera and Puma. It was actually something that helped me during the long hours. I, I remember wearing it a lot for shooting industry. We shot in Berlin in the middle of winter. Um, oh, some that's really, brutal. It was brutal. Yeah. Um, but I was fine because I had this jacket. A lot of the scenes that I shoot are outside. You need You need something that can just like sort the problem of like warmth out so you can just focus on your job and not be like distracted by the fact that oh, you, you know you should do another take but because it's cold you just like say okay it's good enough whatever the problem is we'll fix in post um, I'm not guilty of that because I dress appropriately. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a bit about your career. Obviously, um, the picture that you've submitted with the, uh, with you in the coat is you on set. How did you get into filmmaking? Because it's not like you can just pick up a camera and know how to use it and make a beautiful film. Yeah, I got into filmmaking by picking up a camera. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, you can. <laughs> you can. No, you have to make like lots of really bad films first and then you get closer and closer to um, actualizing your vision and executing it in a way that is, you know, is as beautiful as you want it to be. Yeah, so I picked up a camera. I was I was dating someone in my sixth form, uh, sixth form days, and she was studying film and photography. Um, I was studying, like, English literature, etc., etc. And um, I think it was just learning from her been spending time around her and I always wanted to make films but just felt that it was so inaccessible um, until she was able to like really break down like what is a film in the first place and really change my perception in terms of like the spectrum of film the spectrum of sort of like visual language as well Um, so and then she let me borrow her camera for, for like a summer and in that summer also, it was like the height of like Tumblr when it was like super cool and all the like most of the inspirational like artsy stuff was on there. So yeah, I, it was like it was sort of a mixture of those two things, and then going outside and just shooting lots of documentaries or things that I end up ended up calling documentaries of my friends of like the area that I lived in at the time. I lived up in Camden. Um, yeah and then slowly just cutting stuff putting stuff together and then before you know it you do one project another one another one and each time you're just stepping it up slowly and slowly and you get to a point where things start to look like what you want it to look like and people give you responses that you know that encourage you to continue going Mm. Yeah, I find that really interesting because I've always been interested in languages and translation. It's like when you learn your art form really well, the process of translation from what's in your head and what comes out, whether that's on paper or that's in film, it's translated more and more accurately until eventually you reach a point where you're like, I have an idea in my head and I know exactly how to express it so that what is in my head looks like what comes out at the end. Yeah, absolutely. What have been your favourite films that you've worked on? Maybe it's like kids you can't pick a favorite <laughs> <laughs> um i think i can pick a favorite there's 
uh, two films, if not maybe three. Um, one isn't out yet. One is coming out in a couple of weeks, actually. That is not a film in, in per se. It's a TV episode that I did um, for a show called Champion, which is Netflix, BBC um, production. And we shot it in Jamaica end of last year. I guess another one is um, the 2020, the, the, the show 8, Virgil, La- Virgil Abloh's last show. Mm-hmm. Um, that one i think for sentimental reasons it was just an important it was very important to me to get it right and mm. do something that i felt was a a, a a fitting tribute for for virgil and then um and then the last one i was gonna say survivor's guilt which i really enjoyed making i think it was the process of making that like we shot it in a day i'd spent like i had I had to either pay rent or shoot that film, and I shot that film. Um, but actually, it was significant to like taking m- me and my work and my career to to another level. But I would actually say it's again and again. So like I on the side, I make like these short, artsy, poet poetry films, and again and again was like something I made during the lockdown in twenty twenty. I went into lockdown like with heartbreak. So I had to deal with that. It was actually very good. I would recommend that if there's another time <laughs> to like If there's align, a pandemic coming, if there's an, break a, up. <laughs> break up because you're sort of put in a situation where you have to process everything and you can't go outside and you can't make stupid decisions. You can't, you have to like sit with it and um, and I made again and again and I'm always I'm always like looking looking at that piece of work as probably my bravest and just the most artistically like left I just was like look I want to make it super surreal and also there's just like a recording a mistaken recording of myself like I guess like philosophizing um the process of heartbreak and also sobbing to my cat um so that is like the score of it and i like it i love hearing you talk about it that's um yeah that's one that's probably my favorite of uh, your films i know this is a sort of style and fashion focused podcast i don't want to be like it's because of the clothes because it sounds (laughs) can sound really crass but um visually like i just love that shot of the the two boys in the hoodie and then when they're um rolling each other in the white track suits and then it switches to red i could watch it again and again (laughs) which is um kind of perfect all right let's move on to your next piece so this relates to what you just spoke about well, in terms of your work with Virgil. So this is the piece that reminds you of a high. And so can you tell us, well, it's more of a look. Um, can you tell us, what, it's a photo of you. Where are you? What are you wearing? Um, what's the context? So this is, um, so for spring, summer 22 collection, um, which we did in 20, 2021, um, this is yeah this is the the show fit for me and it's a gorgeous absolutely gorgeous um suit all white suit um with you know i don't i'm not really a stylist so i can't give you like the accurate like 
sort of like names of like what the hell this is but it's beautiful it's you know the lapel to the broad shoulders um to the the the, the buttons the detailing on the buttons and i was given a, a a katana a samurai sword as a accessory as well um and i was next to uh riza um in the in the film well, as in from Wu Tang. Yeah. Whoa! Yeah, I didn't even yeah. because there's so many people in that film. Literally. That you can't. It's like a who's who. It was my first proper like runway, or fashion, sort of like show involvement as like someone who's not behind the camera. I'm in front, um, and it was a high because I'm not a model. I'm not a like that's none of this is me. But to be able to step in for a moment in time and look back on this and be like, oh, I got to experience a small element of life as a model especially like for something that I was part of something that I was like also had like a real emotional connection to which just felt good I was like this is it this might be it let me just take in as much as of this like experience as, as possible and just because you know fashion is so fleeting it's so everything is your hair today gone tomorrow so I was like look just enjoy this and um and take as many photos as you can and maybe your children when you're much older and they've grown up this might be some cool points for you <laughs> i don't know um, do you feel like that when you know when you were walking uh i think it's interesting it's um it depends who you're working with i think if you're working with someone and it's a real creative collaboration like for example i was telling you when i worked with jacquemus and that you felt really like there was a synergy personality wise in terms of me and the theme of the collection and what his vision was and he wanted me to be involved with it you feel like part of the creative but then there are other times where you can tell that people they project some sort of i don't know they have a fantasy of who you are based on the way that you look and they almost they don't want you to shatter that so it's this strange thing of knowing that you're like wearing literally but also sort of emotionally someone else's idea of mm. you and that they don't want you to be like yourself within that so it's yeah it's really um I've had some amazing experiences in some way you're like oh I really am a sort of coat hanger not that that's necessarily a bad thing that's a very interesting experience as well and it's kind of more like acting in a way yeah. um and then, yeah, you do commercial jobs where you just wear the <laughs> ugliest clothes ever. <laughs> like, so how did you start working with Virgil? Um, where did that come from? Uh, shout out Michaela Cole, actually. Oh, no uh, such a random connection. But yeah, it was through Michaela Cole. Um, she really liked Paul. Um, she got sent like an early copy, like a real early copy, because I think when I started... Um, just being a lot more active in poetry. She had, she was in poetry, but she was like transitioning into TV. So we kind of missed each other in that sense, but I always really liked her, her work. And and um, so, yeah, I was just like, oh, could you send this to her? And, and they did, and she really liked it. She responded so well to it. Not knowing that like she, I think she was in Ghana one time and she, was hanging out with V and they were chatting and I think one one really great thing about Virgil was that he's always looking for collaborators he's always looking for just like people who can like um, join the conversation of his like ideas and swap ideas and, and sort of just like I think he was someone that just wanted to 
talk and explore and philosophize over possibilities, over concepts and stuff. So she brought my name up um, and she was like, oh, here's this person. Also, he's got this book. Um, I don't think V read, read my book at the time. It wasn't out, so he wasn't able to read it. I sent it to him eventually, but he, he then like looked me up, saw my films, followed me. Uh, I followed him back. I got an email of um, one of his assistants and I didn't believe it. I was just like, this is fake. And my friend with me at the time, Chad Darius, he was at my house and um, I was like, there was a Zoom that was scheduled. So let's say this, the Zoom is for like 3 p.m. My mate, he's at my house and we're just like talking about how it might just be a prank. But we clicked the Zoom link and we just left it open. 3 p.m. came, no one turned up. 3.15, no one turned up. So we were like, okay, cool, it's fake, it's fine. So we've literally forgotten about it and we're just chatting, just laughing, whatever. And then he pops up at like 3.30. Um, so he's just in the, he's just watching us, just like being idiots. And then we just like turn to the screen and it's V on the screen. And like, I have not like, you know, like a, a, a deer in headlights. I was just like, uh. <laughs> And then my mate got up and just walked to the other side of the, the laptop. So obviously he's not seen. And then he starts like <laughs> jumping and doing all these faces and, and whatnot. And, and yeah, and that's how we sort of started working together. That's such a good story. Um, I'm going to ask you more about uh, your work with him a little bit later. Now let's go from a high to a low. Um, so can you tell us about the look that you've chosen to represent a low? Um, okay. Oh, yeah. See, look, the shirt. Oh, Wait, this, this is, is the same shirt? The shirt. I couldn't shirt. tell. This is, the, this is the shirt that... This, oh my God, full circle. This is why I don't like this no more. This is why I have a bad um, sort of emotional attachment to this. Like I was saying at the top of the, top of the podcast. And mentally, I just wasn't in a good place. I was just like in this space of like existential, like not dread but just like what's going on where's my life going I was looking at what is the point of the work that I'm doing what does all of this mean which I think is symptomatic of like just that time anyway coming out of lockdown and us like really being back into the world and figuring stuff out again um, it was a very hot day I remember just taking this off after this photo and just being in a vest and then I was driven back home and I just stayed out. <laughs> I just like went in and this shirt hasn't arrived, like hasn't come out again until today. And what made you decide to like be like, okay, I'm going to re-inscribe the memory of this shirt? I knew that there was, it had a better version of itself. And I feel like today is me trying to give it that like, okay, cool. You can actually be a bit of a Cinderella, even though mostly you're just an ugly sister. <laughs> The glass slipper of a shirt. It's the glass, it is, it is. <laughs> um, on the theme of flows, when you find yourself in a bit of a, you know, in a, having a creative block, having mm. that existential crisis you just talk about where you think, what does it mean? You feel like you've gone in the wrong direction or you just feel totally grey those yeah. days. What do you do to get out of it? Are there any tools that you've learned over the years? I think being really present is important. As I think sometimes I can sort of be a bit disconnected and distant distance myself from myself when I'm going through a low um, because I don't want to engage with it 
but that is the wrong thing to do which I've learned because what it does is it just allows you to float into just like a vast sea of just like depression um, so for me I think I try to be as present as, as possible in within the low like why is this a low um, how am I feeling about this and also just allow myself to be to be in the low for a bit because I think that's necessary um, and then it, within that low I just sort of strategize and start to put actionable things into place I mean for me it always starts off like domestically what can I do in my house like clean the house uh, okay cool maybe change some furniture around maybe like paint a wall maybe like do stuff that like really help helps me kickstart this sort of renovation that I have to do mentally anyway so once things in the house start to be on the up again I then slowly start to want to engage in solutions like okay cool what do we do to get out of this low what are the solutions and how can I start like putting them into actionable sort of points and then how can I follow through with them definitely will take that and put it in my own personal memos let's move on to the piece that makes you feel a part of something yes so can you tell me what you've chosen for this so I have chosen a very old picture of me from maybe like maybe 10 years ago um, and this was my first ever exhibition so I was in I was in a collective um, at the time like there were so many collectives um, so I was in a collective of just like creatives spanning all artistic disciplines and this was our first exhibition this is Lexa Moore who I'm with and Lexa Moore is an artist uh, she's a, an incredible I was going to say I didn't even recognise her in the picture yeah yeah you know <laughs> we go way way we went to uni together no way um, in fact actually Lex is probably the single most important person in my career because the day that I was going to give up I was literally I had already given up she physically like got me to go back like she I, I, it was like a show and I just felt like no nah, this show is not for me um, I remember just walking out and she I didn't tell anyone about the show but she found out about it and as I'm walking out she's right there she's like where you going I was like what are you doing here and I was like oh I'm done I'm done with this I'm going I'm, I'm just going to be a teacher she was like what are you doing and she dragged me back in she was like get on that stage um, yeah wow so and, and we used to write together in uni as well um, and most of our art stuff we all used to do together so yeah um, as you can see we're all kind of coordinating I've got a white shirt on she has a white shirt on I have a, a a hat to the back with a you know and she has a hat on as well I don't know like we're just we look like a bit of a a bit of a duo here and we continued that way for a couple of years as well shout out Lex 
I'd love to talk you to talk a bit about collaboration because obviously it's like when you're writing, mm. that's I imagine quite a solitary act. It's something that you often do by yourself and it's yeah. quite um, introspective. But then something like making a film is so mm. collaborative. Mm. There are so many different people on set and you know, you have to sort of share the creativity with so many other people. Yeah. Um, what do you find, you know, is there one that you prefer? What's the balance in your work of those sort of two elements and um, what makes a good collaborator for you? Okay, what makes a good collaborator is someone who is as enthusiastic a, a, about the project as you um, and also someone who is solution-based rather than problem-based. I think that whenever there are issues or, or problems within a project, I think I find it difficult to work with people who want to identify the problem with no solution. Mm. Um, I'm always sort of like, I'm the way that I, I approach, I guess creativity is problem solving, especially filmmaking. Most of your sort of like things are just like some form of problem solving. And, um, and yeah, I think that the, the most exciting collaborators are the ones who are like, here's a problem, but also here's a solution. Mm. Or even, here's a solution to the problem that we had. Or we no longer have this problem anymore because I've found a solution, mm. you know? Um, I also just a good producer, I feel. A like. great <laughs> producer, yeah. No, that like 100% a great producer um, is important. And then, what was the other bit? How do you balance... Um, oh, the writing. Yeah, or like more solitary creativity with that sort of more working as part of a team, which also, I don't know if you're someone that... But like, I suppose ego-wise also can be mm. difficult because sometimes you've got to let someone else have their idea or yeah. compromise your idea in the, you know, for the greater good of the work yeah. or the team. I think, I think for me, when I create work, I always leave space for people to come in. I guess it's different for each sort of project, but for me, I always try to just leave. I'm very conscious about like leaving space for my DOP, leaving space for for the costume department, for the sound department. Let everyone, because they're experts for a reason in those departments. So, really, the best form for me is like never like okay here is the exact idea that I want you to replicate or here is what's in my head and I want you to do this exact thing it's always like okay I have this idea it could be like this but really I would want you to bring your own entire new, entirely new spin on like this thing and then in terms of writing and, and I, I think I like being solitary I enjoyed writing on my own or just like any time I get to write and it, it's just me. But also that doesn't mean anything if like you're not able to go into the world and like let other people sort of build on this thing that you've created as well. So the two kind of, they're both processes that I really like. I like my own time and space, but then for, on the other end of it, I like working with people. Let's move on to the piece that reminds you of a great party. Yeah. So this is always a fun one and looks like you're having fun in this picture. So tell us what you've chosen for this category. Uh, this is last summer. This is around this time last summer. Shout out Recess. Um, I was at a recess party. I think it was my first proper, proper, proper summer party um, at the time. It felt good. 
my hair was brown. Um, I just dyed it, and this shirt. It looks like one of the Wales Bonner Adidas ones. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah, it's got the, that vibe to it. Anyway, I love this shirt. The shirt is amazing. It's a bit short, so if I put, if I'm like my, my put your hands in the air, then. my hands are in the air. It, it's a bit. It gives crop top a bit, <laughs> but it's a gorgeous piece of of uh, material. Um, yeah, it was such a great night. You've just uh, written about recess for days, yes, right? Um, yes, yes, tell yes, us a bit yes. about recess. Uh, recess is um, a very very significant um, night in terms of uh, nightlife culture in London and it's growing um, to many cities around the world. Um, it's run by Jojo and his brother David, they were the ones that kind of, it's their brainchild. Um, but since then the, the, the team has grown. I think they've just done like a hundred parties over, over several years. They. Um, yeah, they're just an incredible space um, for young Londoners who just want to have a good time. They really think about the people, the experience of like the people. They curate their nights really well. They think about not only like musically, but they think about like phys- the physical space as well. Um, yeah, it's just it's just one of the l- the last few nights that where you can go and and not be like bogged down with just so much bureaucracy and um, getting in and this and that and yeah there's a really really good culture over there at recess mm. um, and recently I guess even part of this 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 uh, photo I've been thinking a lot about parties specifically house parties but just like nightlife culture uh, in this country um, my next book is all about that so it kind of made sense me and Jojo we've been thinking a lot or talking a lot about just partying and curation and what its place in the community and all of that kind of stuff um, the last the last Louis Vuitton uh, show that we did Virgil's last one again a lot of that was inspired by house parties by social gatherings um david mancuso's uh love saves the day like all that kind of stuff so do you believe it's true that kids of the future don't want to party and they just want to sit in their bedrooms on tiktok absolutely not kids want to be outside (laughs) um so let's move on to the next piece this is a piece that makes a lot of people squirm this is the piece that makes you feel sexy so why have you chosen for this oh this was an easy one this was the first one i did Mm -hmm. actually um because it's leather. So I'm wearing an Averex, um, a black Averex jacket, leather jacket. Um, and story behind this jacket is I've always, so when I was a kid in secondary school, I think it was about 15, Averexes were like super in, but they were a little bit expensive. Not as expensive as they are now, ridiculous. But at the time they were more expensive than like a regular 15 year old could afford. Um, they just look so good and I always wanted to own one Uh, so fast forward um, when I I had a bit of spare cash I was able to buy one and as soon as I put it on I was like I get it like leather especially like a leather jacket a good leather jacket is just like sex on legs (laughs) 
you know what I mean it just turns you into a like maybe there's something in your spirit that shifts but you just all of a sudden just like move different the structure of your body just feels sexy and you can't have a bad photo so yeah <laughs> no it's so true I um, spent a long time looking for the perfect leather jacket and I ended up finding it in a vintage shop in Bristol for like £30 Ooh. but it was that thing where it's like when you find the right one you, and it looks cool with everything yeah. Like, and it's, def it's just one of those pieces where if you're having a bad day or you're not feeling very confident you just put it on and then you're just like oh no oops I accidentally slayed again yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> minimal effort sorry guys <laughs> um Another thing I was going to say is that um, one of the themes in poor is um, coming of age yeah. and it's so like you articulate it in such a sort of charming way. One of my favourite lines um, in the whole book is where you say a girl sends a, ri a risky text, the universe gasps and sound falls in on itself. A riskier reply is received. Sorry, it's probably mortifying no, hearing me in my like posh voice being like, I love this beautiful line from the book poor. I really relate to it. <laughs> You're like, oh, oh. <laughs> Um, but yeah now you're in your 30s do you feel nostalgic for the more youthful version of yourself um, that pops up in your poems physically yes I think there was a transition of like oh no this is my this is my 30s face and this is like my teenage face mm. and I think that was something that I had to like get used to and plus writing Paul I had to be in such a nostalgic space that it kind of that version, that teenage version of myself was so prominent and I'm having trouble like pushing it back mm. to like where it, like go back and sit in your seat and let like 30s Caleb sit at the forefront and drive, mm. you know? So that's kind of where I am. Let's move on to your last piece. Mm. Um, so this is the one that got away. So what have you chosen for this category? Uh, this one is just the same photo uh, or the same outfit as the high. This is backstage of the show, um, the SS22 one. And um, I I just fell in love with it. Look at the cut, look at the material, look at the buttons. I just, I, I don't think that I would get married in this suit. Like, it, it's just that gorgeous to me. I was looking out for it. I was like, okay, I'm gonna just wait till it comes out. So I was just waiting for it, and I either missed it or it actually never came out. So I feel like it got away from me because I've I've never been given the opportunity to to purchase it. Because if if I had the opportunity, I would. This would be in my wardrobe somewhere. Um, and I want to ask you a little bit about. Um working with Virgil can you share any anecdotes or memories of working with him or a particular moment during a collaboration the first time that like um, I went to Paris to to meet Virgil um, was probably one of the most surreal experiences so like turned up at the at the Louis Vuitton um, head office um, and V's there and he's like yo come through um, we walk through and he's like, oh, let's go to, up to my office. We go up to his office, but it's not really an office. It's more like, so I heard it before we actually got there because there was just like, a, it felt more like, I wouldn't say a youth club because like that, that's just diminishing just like what the level of like 
you know what level it is so like without any sort of just like think about like the the vibe and the, like the vitality of the atmosphere of like a youth club you know just like people doing stuff laughing talking working on stuff there's music playing um so yeah so just like turning up hearing music hearing like laughter hearing like people just chatting having really interesting conversations entering a space that was just like full of merch um full of like designs full of like photography uh, you know just like everything was just like it was a working space you know it had like you know the, the model faces on the walls they had like ibs styling boards and stuff all his assistants around just like fitting stuff together doing last minute things um and then his office there was there was a couple of musicians in there a couple of artists in there like playing their music um there was a friend french artist i forget his name uh unknown t was there he was playing stuff uh my Steph was there he was like they were everyone was just vibing it like it felt it literally i remember saying to him right this feels like a youth club and he was like that's exactly what he wanted to create it made such an impression of me because you know i, I grew up on you know devil wears prada so i thought it was going to be similar to that sort of vibe like you go in everyone's super serious everyone is like just working and it's like quiet and there's just chatter and like Virgil walks in and everyone's quiet and everyone's like listening to him but no it, in this space it felt like a community um, so yeah that was just such a wonderful and inspiring note to end on thank you so much for taking us through your threads thank of you. conversation thank you for having me for, having um, for anyone listening if you want to see um, pictures of the pieces that Caleb's talking about then the newsletter is linked in the show notes <laughs>